0: Hello, and welcome to the Community IT Innovators Technology Topics Podcast, where we discuss nonprofit technology, cybersecurity, tech project implementation, strategic planning, and nonprofit IT careers. Find us at communityit.com.
1: Welcome, everyone, to the Community IT Innovators Voices Interview Series. My name is Carolyn Woodard, and I am the Outreach Director for Community IT. And today, I'm very happy to welcome Jennifer huff to the interview. So, Jennifer, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us your job title and how long you've been at Community IT?
2: Yes, thanks, Carolyn. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, so yeah, my name is Jennifer Hufftallon. I go by Jenny typically, um, but respond to both of those names. And, uh, I'm currently the director of client services at community IT. And I've been here for 16 years. I just celebrated 16 years in October, which is an unbelievable length of time for so many reasons. But, um, yeah, it's been a wonderful journey so far and happy to be here.
1: Congratulations.
2: <laughs> Thank you.
1: Um, I know that a lot of our staff um, have been with us for over 10 years, so um, you're definitely in that in that club.
2: <laughs> yes, for sure. Yes. And remarkably. I mean, I think that um, I remember when I first started and people talked about the sabbatical that was offered at 10 years, and I was like, it, it was hard to imagine in my early 20s then that I'd get there, you know, things... being in your 30s felt like an impossible uh, distance to cover, but it happened very quickly. And I feel like I'm staring down 20 years now. So (laughs) maybe want to, you know, see if we can get one of those sabbaticals to go round two.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. Do you remember when you started at Community IT and kind of how that happened? What was your job then that you were hired for? And how did you find Community IT?
2: Yes, I remember it very well. Um, I had been living in DC for a couple of years. I had cousins that, um, lived in DC. So I visited as a kid and I loved the city. So in some ways I was drawn to DC first and then, um, kind of fell into a couple of jobs that were, um, happened to be, uh, related to account management, which, um, you know, uh, obviously ended up being the area that I focused on, uh, community IT, but, um, I had to say it was not necessarily deliberate focus. I kind of knew what I didn't like. And, um, you know, the first couple of job experiences I had also kind of reinforced what wasn't a great fit for me, which was more kind of corporate work, um, more kind of buttoned up uh, culture. Sort of had what I tried to figure out what I valued about um, things in general, you know, including work, like what I wanted my work day to feel like. Um, you know, what kind of things I wanted to be a part of and and contribute to um, and as part of that, I was just job searching and I found a, a I think it was on you know listed somewhere, maybe indeed, um, I'd done the corporate work, I thought I'd see what kind of nonprofit work was out there, and um there was an opening for an entry level position doing just admin work um at community i t and um it happened to be close to the neighborhood I was living in, and I was really drawn to just um the fact that they were supporting able to support a wide range of you know issues that it you know through the nonprofits we supported that I thought were really important. So uh yeah it gave me an opportunity to and I could tell right away as well um that the culture was aligning with kind of the way I liked to or at least I thought I wanted to to live and, and contribute to the world where it was very, you know, clearly very flexible and open and um you know a lot of different uh, diversity with the staff. And so all of those things felt right to me. Um, despite not having any kind of background in technology, I, I was, you know, I had some background in doing some account support and, um, you know, the two things seemed to work out and and came together. And, um, so yeah, that's, that's where I
1: landed. I know it's, uh, I think you and I may be uh, two of the least technical people at Community (laughs) IT. So I definitely, people people laugh when I tell them, oh, I work for an IT company. So um, me too. It takes all kinds. It takes, and I feel like also I have learned so much about our realm of expertise just by interacting with people, and you know, kind of interacting with you and with what the clients are asking for and what the the teams are able to provide. So I've definitely learned a lot. I'm a lot smarter about IT than I was to begin with, for sure. <laughs>
2: Yeah, same here. I mean, and it was a a real uphill battle for me, but I think it speaks to the, um, you know, our colleagues who are, you know, obviously very um, good with technology, but also really good about explaining it. And, you know, I felt like the guinea pig in a lot of cases sometimes, because I'd have to just be like, well, just really put it in the most basic of terms for me to understand. And, um, you know, our, our team has always been so good at that. And I've really um, learned so much again, like just through being uh, close to it and hearing how they talk about it and describe the way things work. And, um, you know, despite myself, I feel like I now do, do kind of understand technology in a way that I never would have imagined I could, um, you know, back then for sure.
1: So can you talk a little bit about your career path at Community IT? You said you started out as an entry-level position, and now you are the Director of Client Services. So within Community IT, how does that happen? Um, was there a set, you know, every every so often you get promoted to this or that, or do you make your own path? Did you have mentors? How does that work?
2: So that's a great question. I think... Um, my trajectory looks a lot different than for the folks who are who are technical, you know, and have been around maybe as long as me. Although I think to some degree the evolution of our company um, has, you know, the steps they take has also probably become a lot more clear and sophisticated. Um, you know, we we evolved as a company from being, you know, um, you know IT professionals, but, but having um, staff that really covered all components to the client relationship. You know, the, the technicians themselves were writing up contracts. They were dealing with service disputes. They were doing all of those things. Um, and it, it wasn't until we kind of grew as a company and then clearly had to define some of those, um, you know, some of those tasks as part of a deliberate team, you know, and have the technical folks focus on doing the technical work. And then somebody like me kind of take on the, the, the non-technical work. Um, so because that hadn't been established yet, you know, I didn't really, there wasn't, um, clear steps necessarily, um, which again, really worked well for me because I didn't, like I said, I wasn't, um, drawn to the company because of the specific technical work I was drawn because I really liked the culture. And part of that culture was allowing people to kind of find their strengths and find what they're good at and sort of, take a peek behind that door, see if it makes sense, and if so, keep moving. Um, so I was given a lot of flexibility, a lot of time to kind of try different things. you know. And um, like I said, I had some background in doing account management. So contracts made sense to kind of focus on if the service company has a need for the customer service side. Um, and I had a little bit of experience there too. So it really just was an evolution of, over time. And Throughout that process, I was lucky enough to have you know kind of direct um, experience working with some of our leadership Um, at the time. You know, Johan Hammerstrom, our CEO, was handling a lot of the client services needs, and I just kind of shadowed him a ton. I would go to meetings together. I'd um, just see how he handled um, different conversations, tricky conversations, Um, and you know, again, over time, it became sort of starting to sink in, like, okay, this is how we could maybe think about what our customer service standards could be. And maybe I could play a role in defining those and, you know, um, and make sure that we're kind of uh, consistent about delivering those uh, standards. So, um, yeah, so I started out, like I said, at the front desk, got a lot of exposure to the whole company there. Um, And then, um, you know, there was this need to formalize kind of an account manager role. So I, a few years in, became an account manager. And um, and now uh, the director of client services role um, is really with a focus on, um, yeah, formalizing what our customer experience needs to be, making sure that um, our customers are having a consistent experience and that there is a sort of clear definition of, of what that is at community IT.
1: Can you talk a little bit more about that? I know you've spent the last year and or year and a half thinking about what the client experience should be, and you have several touchstone phrases um, that we hear. So when you have thought about this kind of from the outside in of how a client is experiencing our service, what are those like key phrases and goals that you have for our customer service?
2: Yeah. um, One of the, I think, advantages to being a person that's not technical is that um, I think I can kind of sense or feel or have a, a different perspective maybe on what it is to experience, you know, technical uh, work, whether it's, you know, actually, you know, dealing with fixing a problem or how technology um, plays a role in your work day. If you're not a person who's thinking about it from the back end. Um, so one of the things that I kept coming back to as I was trying to define our kind of customer service uh, standards um, was that we needed to be able to meet people where they're at with technology. I think it's hard, and and especially for people who are very technical, it can sometimes be hard to pull yourself out of kind of what you understand. It's almost like a second nature to you if if you're in it all the time, and um, you know it's just efficient to talk about it in a certain way um, if you've lived in it for and and it all makes sense to you. But our customers and I'm (laughs) not a person who lives in that world, so um, you know, in order for us to be able to um, you know, connect with them, understand where they're coming from, understand what they're trying to achieve, um, provide a service. You know, that's adding value. We need to be able to meet them and see the kind of problem the way they see it. Um, so that was kind of a big part of my focus. Was you know, just um, how do we, you know, what do we, what practices we need to put in place to help all of our staff uh, do that well, um, and and that that's really kind of a fundamental. Component to providing good service is that we're able to understand where our clients are coming from and then be able to um, get them to a better place. And that's the other part of it that, you know, is our goal as a service company is to add value. And, you know, we can only add value if we understand the problem, right? So, um, so that, that's sort of been um, my mantra over the last, you know, year or so is, you know, let's, let's meet them where they're at and get them to a better place.
1: Excellent. Um, If I can shift gears a little bit, um, I know that you worked in DC originally and you work remotely now. And Mm -hmm. I, I also work remotely and community IT has been extremely supportive in staff being able to work remotely or as a hybrid, like coming into the office in DC sometimes, but also working remotely. And then we also support clients remotely, entirely remotely in lots of cases nationwide. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that evolution, like going from working in the office as the office, you know, receptionist front front desk to now uh, working from New York state and also, you know, like having a family while you're a career employee at community IT and how that is supported?
2: Yes, um, yeah, I think that's one of the things community it has always been a little bit ahead of the curve on is accommodating um, not just remote work, but as you say, kind of broadly flexible work life balance. Um, we really walk the walk on that one, and I think that again, when I go back to thinking about why I was drawn to the company, um that was a huge part of it, even though, yeah, early on, I needed to be kind of in the office um, as the person who answered the front door, <laughs> you know, it was essential. Um, there was always a sense that, uh, there could be, you know, flexibility in, in, in my schedule to some degree that, um, you know, this, uh, you know, um, sense that, you know, we had a life outside of work, um, was always there and, and always displayed by our leadership as well. I mean, I remember when I started, um, our CEOs just had, had had a baby and he was out, you know, um, for that. So, um, so I experienced that early on. And then, yeah, after a few years, I had, for personal reasons, a um, you know, kind of a need to move to New York City. And um, when I asked if that would be something I could um, do, I had obviously at that point moved on from the front desk and, um, you know, was doing account management uh, work uh, specifically, which is a little bit more mobile than, you know, answering um, the door, answering the phone. Um so yeah, I mean I there was no hesitation. It was it was um uh you know that was back in I think 2014, so way before anybody knew about a pandemic or any kind of remote work as a standard thing. Um and yeah, I think uh you know there was a sense that um and I think this really is a a, a general cultural um value of community IT too, is that there's a lot of trust. I mean, if um you've St- work hard and you stick to your responsibilities. They don't have to kind of see how you're doing it or, you know, that you, the way you're doing it, if the work is getting done, you know, they trust that you'll do that. And I think, um, you know, I felt very fortunate that they allowed me to move first to New York City where I stayed for a few years. And then, um, after having my, my first son, the, the city kind of gobbled us up a little bit. And, um, I was able to move um, back where I'm from here in central New York. Um, to be around family. And at that point, uh, you know, again, it, I had been working remotely for about five years. Um, and it was, uh, you know, just, um, there were no questions. It was just, it was uh, you getting your work done and um, you're available for meetings. Um, and it was working, working very well. And then I think, you know, as we approached uh, our current situation where people, it's very common now for people to work remotely. Um, you know, community IT was so well positioned to handle that transition because um, you know, we had, you know, they'd already sort of allowed people to have a flexible work schedule, again, kind of knowing that as long as you're responsible and you're you're doing your work, you know, it doesn't matter how it gets done or when, as long as it gets done. Um, but in addition to that, there was a lot of technical support that allowed for people to, to just seamlessly go into working remotely. Um, you know, we didn't miss a day. It was, it was, uh, you know, things were already in the cloud, um, which means you could access the information you need from anywhere. Um, many people, even those who were based in DC already had laptops, which allowed them to be more flexible. Um, so, you know, I think that uh, there was, you know, a sense that as part of having and offering a of work-life balance, even before the pandemic, you needed to give people the ability to work from where they may need to work for, from sometimes. And yeah, like you say, if you have a family, sometimes that means you got to get out of the house, you know, you got to go take your computer somewhere else. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that sort of foundation was there when, you know, we had to all go remote. And I felt like, um, for me it almost was a benefit that now everybody was remote and now everybody lives in this space where I was, um, it used to be at joint meetings and, you know, I was one of, you know, a handful of people who may be on the phone. And there's just a way different dynamic, as you know, from being in a room with somebody and then having one person kind of on the phone versus, you know, everybody being um, on the screen or on the phone or in, a, in the same location. Um, so I feel like it really was fortunate in some ways for me to, to, to um, you know, join now, have the rest of the workforce sort of join me remotely um and we already had all these tools you know kind of ready to go and um you know it's just uh made kind of handling that um the nature of our work being remote that that much easier now um and of course we miss seeing each other but it, i think we've really um as a company again because that foundation was there um that trust was there uh i think that um you know people we've we've been able to adapt to being a fully remote company and maintain that type of kind of culture, that type of expectation, um, even though we're all, you know, kind of meeting each other on the screens now. Um, I think that, you know, we're still still able to to do that and do that well.
1: That's one thing that I really, um, I guess, noticed and we've kept it going is I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, we started on our remote calls to have like a little check-in moment at the beginning of calls of just like, how are you feeling? How are you doing? What's going on? Like as a person, not as, and then we would start the meeting and talk about what we needed to talk about. Um, Mm -hmm. And it really been able to keep that going, which I find is just kind of exemplifies also that like people are whole people. They work part of their time and they have other lives outside of their time at work. And you can do better work, I think, if you're connected uh, in that way. And I think that actually helped our clients as well that had to, some of them had to move to remote very quickly um, at the beginning of the pandemic. And we already had this experience. So as we were helping them, you know, fully realize their cloud technology and be able to work remotely, we also had as a company that experience of what helps make remote work work. And so Mm -hmm. we were able to, to help them with that as well. Um so like you said we were just well positioned to be able to support our clients with that.
2: Yeah, it was a challenging time for for us and for all of our clients and we, you know, um were felt fortunate to be able to uh, make sure at least one major component of their operations, their IT was, you know, continuing on smoothly and that they could rely on us and um you know, we had the experience ourselves and the expertise to help them get to a better place
1: there. Yeah. It's crazy too, and I think about all of the companies that are like forcing people to go back into the office. <laughs> to want I know to. I don't see how that's gonna work. It's just so like there's a good thing, like let people have the good thing.
2: That's right. I know. I don't. I really don't understand it. I mean, I think we've all understand that getting together has been is valuable. Like I think the time we spend, and you know, we we feel that, but. And I do think some of it just does come down to trust. Like if you don't think your staff are capable of managing flexibility, then, you know, that's that's, that's a but kind of a management
1: like, problem. Yeah. A yes. problem. Like if you, right. if you have to have like eyeball trackers to make sure they're like doing work at work, it's like, honestly, like when my kids were little, I worked at night. Like mm-hmm. I would work after they, I put them to sleep because the day was so, I was so distracted. I'd work from like seven to 10 at night, like every yeah. night. And um, yep. just having that flexibility is oh, it's I, huge. I don't understand. It's essential. I mean, I understand. I don't either.
2: Yeah, I, I guess I understand, but I also don't, don't understand. And I feel like there's a sense that It is going to be coming back that people are going to be wanting to go back to the office. And
1: some people working from home was terrible. They get energy from being interrupted.
2: (laughs) Right. That's true. No, that's a good point.
1: I have a friend who is her social calendar has to be full. If she slows down, it's bad for her mental health has to be going on like their calendar. I couldn't do it, but they're like, they go out to eat all the time. They drive around to see different friends. They, you know, like she, her calendar to be full. And I think there are a lot of people who are like that, who are just like, I want to be with people. I do not want to be by myself at my house, you know? Yeah. And uh, so for those people, like I wish there was a way for them to have like an office environment. It's interesting you
2: say that because I felt like, um, there was, yeah, a lot of it. So I feel like up until the pandemic, like so much of what was valued was people who are out there doing, 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 doing. That's like what you should be doing that like consuming and, you know, and the pandemic revealed for a lot of people like, Oh, this is actually the way I want to live. Like I, this is where I've been looking for, but for those people who thrived in the previous world where, you know, it hit them really hard and there wasn't really a like avenue for how to get out of it because you really didn't have any literally no options you know yeah. to do anything and get out yeah. and so yeah I think it's interesting because I feel like it's been really positive for a lot of people who you know value the quiet time need it and and for those who aren't able to it's just super super challenging but yeah now that we know both worlds you know we can maybe create a better one oh, I don't right. know yeah
1: That'd make nice. a hybrid best of both worlds yeah. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. I
1: don't know. So I always ask this question. Um, when you are in an elevator or at a cocktail party and someone asks you, you know, what does community IT do? What do you do? What's your job? What What do you say? What does community IT do?
2: Yeah, I always uh, say that, you know, we provide IT services to nonprofits. Um, that's kind of where I start. Um, and I always, you know, because I do sometimes get that, that look, especially if the person knows me at all of, of you know, what you, you do what? <laughs> and I say, well, I do the non technical part of that. So I, you know, manage the, um, you know, ongoing relationships, the contracting and um, service related questions. Um, but the company is providing, you know, an essential service for the nonprofit community and providing um, support to to their technology needs.
1: Thank you so much for doing this interview with me. I really enjoyed spending the time with you. Of
2: course, thank you, Carolyn.
0: Community IT does these free webinars and podcasts for our community. And we love sharing our knowledge and experience. If you have more questions or are having trouble with your IT at your nonprofit, please get in touch with us on our website, www.communityit.com so we can start a conversation or schedule an assessment. Downloading any of our free resources there will get you signed up for our webinar reminders, and you can attend our next webinar in real time and ask our experts your own questions. If you love podcasts, please subscribe and leave us a rating to help others find this leadership resource for nonprofits.